as you know, we've been going through Ephesians, the the epistle itself, and we've come now to the end of the epistle, really, for the most part. But this this final section where the apostle deals with the topic of spiritual warfare. And a couple of weeks back, we kind of did a, a bigger picture perspective on the subject, just kind of introduced the subject of spiritual warfare. And so today we pick up in that series and we're going to be looking in, in a little more detail now as we uh, analyze the verses here, uh, verses 10 through about 18 or 19 over the next several weeks, and just getting an understanding of this, this fact of our life spiritually, that we live in the midst of a spiritual battle. And so we read the passage together this morning. Let me just um, read through parts of it real quickly once again. Finally, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power or the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. And here's the key. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities or against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so when we come to thinking about living the Christian life, which is what Paul has been exhorting us to do up until this point, as we think about living the Christian life, uh, there is an often overlooked factor that must be considered, uh, namely, that is the the opposition that we face. We, We don't often recognize that, that Uh, It's not just as simple as, okay, you know, here's what you're supposed to do, now do it. Uh, We have to take into consideration that there are forces that are working against us. There is this uh, spiritual opposition that we face, and this opposition comes to us from none other than the devil. And so we want to consider a little bit today, some things about the devil, about these forces that are working against us. One of the enemy's most effective strategies is to keep us ignorant of the existence of this warfare. This is one of the devil's strategies, just to to keep us... um, to keep us in ignorance of it or uh, to, to keep us off balance. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And, and this is the way it is so often. You know, you have the, um, 
You have the truth about something that, that you generally find in the middle, but then on the side, on either side, you have these extreme views, and this is quite often where people end up. They, they rarely strike the balance. So in the church today, you have some people who are uh, to the one side of the issue where they, they never even consider the devil. They never even factor him into the equation. They never look at any situation and think, wow, you know, the enemy is really at work in this thing. They, they kind of just, they're not tuned into that. And then you, you've got the other side, the other extreme, where uh, people see the devil's activity in, in virtually everything. And every difficulty, every problem uh, is due to some demonic uh, activity that's happening, and we need to rebuke it, and we need to cast it out, and uh, those kinds of things. Both, both of those positions are uh, extreme and wrong. And so we, we want to strike the biblical position, and the biblical position is that there is indeed a battle. There is a spiritual battle. There are indeed forces that are working against us. There is a real devil, and there are a host of evil spirits, demons. But to balance it out, God is still ultimately in control, and he has authority over those things, and he's given us a certain degree of authority over these spirits as well. So we need to keep that in mind as we approach this subject. So we, as Christians, we are in this great conflict. Paul uses uh, military terms quite frequently. He uh, said to Timothy, uh, he spoke of uh, waging a good warfare. He referred to Timothy as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And concerning his own life, he said, as he was coming to the conclusion, he, he put it in these terms. He says, I have fought the good fight. So we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And as the text tells us here, we're, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're actually in, in a conflict with, with spiritual forces, the devil being at, at the, the forefront of these forces. Now, um, the question is, who is the devil? Who is the devil? Well, the, the word devil literally means slanderer. One, one, who, uh, one who slanders or, or one who accuses. The other term that we frequently use for this individual is Satan. Um, Neither one of these are necessarily names. They're, they're more descriptive of his activities. So the devil, is, it's referring to his slander. Uh, Satan, it refers to one who is an adversary. And in the pages of scripture, we have a number of different ways that he is referred to. And in these various ways that he's referred to, we get an understanding of his nature and of his behavior, of his activity. And so he's referred to as the slanderer, the accuser, the tempter, the adversary, the father of lies, the murderer, 
the God of this age, the prince of demons, the prince of the power of the air, uh, the ruler of this world, the evil one, the wicked one, the serpent, the dragon. These are all different ways that he's referred to in the pages of scripture. And obviously in each and every one of them, those are, those are negative references as you can see, but they, they describe his activity. Uh, Jesus said he's the father of lies. All deception, all deceit uh, originates from him. It, that, that's where it all originated. He's, he's a murderer. He committed the first murder in that he um, led the angels astray. And then he also was the one who was responsible for uh, deceiving uh, the first two people, Adam and Eve, and leading them into sin and death. So he's, um, they're referred to as the murderer. He's uh, the prince of the power of the air. So he's the ruler over these powers that are there in uh, the atmosphere of the earth. He's um, the wicked one, uh, the, the serpent the dragon. And, and these, these references take us back to the very earliest uh, pages or the, the very earliest stages of, of history back in the first pages of scripture where you find this, this serpent. So the one that we're talking about being the devil is the one that we, we find his introduction all the way back in the beginning there with the first two people. So that's who he is. He is the enemy of God. He is the committed foe of God. He is um, irrevocably God's enemy. He's beyond repentance. He can never uh, turn back or, or, or change. Uh, he can never be restored. He's the perpetual enemy of God, and he is the deceiver and oppressor of man. So that's what he does among us as people. He, his work is to deceive and to oppress. So that's who he is, but, but what is he? Because the devil and Satan are not uh, what he was originally. He became the devil. He became the adversary, Satan, but he was not always that. He is a fallen angel, and not only a fallen angel, but he seems to have been God's, the the greatest of all of God's creatures. He is exceedingly powerful. His power is second only to God himself, seemingly, He's incredibly intelligent, thoroughly and irrevocably evil, and he is the commander-in-chief of a multitude of creatures that are similar to himself. So he wasn't always who he is, but he was at one time God's most perfect creature. We're told that in the prophecy of Ezekiel. In the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, there uh, we, we have a very interesting thing. 
uh, the prophet is pronouncing a judgment upon uh, the, the prince or the king of Tyre, the nation of Tyre. And he's speaking about that king and talking about the, you know, the sins of the king and the judgment that God's going to bring. But then suddenly it, it becomes apparent that he kind of moves beyond the king and he addresses this, this other being. And let me read to you from Ezekiel chapter 28. This is what is said concerning this particular being who is the power behind the king of Tyre. It says, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. <coughs> so that's the, the description that the prophet gives to us. It's pretty fascinating when you think of it. Perfect in wisdom and beauty. So the, the sum of, of everything that God created was all summed up in this being. Perfect in wisdom and beauty, notice, until iniquity was found in you. And we read there that you, you were the anointed cherub that covers. Now, some of this is mysterious. We don't know exactly. <coughs> we don't know exactly what, what the references are ultimately re referring to, but the cherub or the cherubim, um, when you read in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, for example, and you, and you see that there are these heavenly creatures that are they're around the throne of God who praise him day and night. They, they cease not to say holy, 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 and so forth. Um, so it seems that that was the kind of position that this creature had. And yet, even beyond that, he would have been the, the, the chief of all the others. So he was the head or the chief over all of the created order under God himself. So this is, you know, as you think about it, perfect in wisdom and beauty and, and all of these kinds of things. So we're, we're dealing with a creature who is magnificent beyond anything we could imagine. But yet that creature is fallen but he still retains uh, certain aspects of that 
um, which was originally there within him. And so, you know, when you look at the, the history of the world and you look at the the havoc that has been wrought upon the earth by um, these demonic forces and all of the, you know, you think of all of the antichrist philosophies and things that uh, dominate the, the minds of men throughout the ages. This is all, at the end, it's all the work of the devil. So we're, we're dealing with a creature who is vastly superior to us and a creature that we, we are um, no match for this creature whatsoever in our own strength. That's why the scripture is telling us, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because I have no ability to um, overcome him or to withstand him or to overthrow him myself. That, that ability comes to us from God. The, the thing to keep in mind, too, from the passage that we read there is never forget that he is, nevertheless, after all of this, he's still a created being. And sometimes people think mistakenly that the devil and God are opposites. You know, God is the good power. The devil is the evil power. Uh, they both have equal power. We're not sure in the end who's going to come out ahead. Uh, that's what's known as dualism. Uh, but the biblical picture is that Satan, this creature, yes, indeed, is powerful, but he is a creature. He was made by God and therefore is not the, the equal of God. But when you start to get an insight into this from what we read here in Ezekiel, there's a similar kind of a passage in Isaiah 14 that you might want to read later on where the, we get the name Lucifer comes from Isaiah 14. Oh, Lucifer, how have you fallen from heaven? Uh, and again, it's a similar kind of a description of one who was placed in the highest position in heaven, but said in his heart, I'm gonna set my throne above the throne of God. And therefore, uh, he was cast down. So when we put all of this together, we see that we have this, this foe that is um, intimidating, to say the least. But we remember that Christ conquered him. He came to crush the head of the serpent, and, and that's indeed what he did on the cross. So, the one we commonly call the devil and Satan, he's not alone he is uh, the head of the opposition forces. Now, there's a passage in Revelation 12 or 13 that speaks of um, this dragon. It's a, it's a picture of this war that took place in heaven, uh, Satan being cast out, and it says that his tail drew a third of the stars. And from that picture there, most scholars believe that that's a reference to the number of angels that fell with, with uh, Satan, that when he fell, he took a third of the host with him. So, of course, we have no idea what the number uh, is. So there's this, this vast number, though, 
of, of creatures who are similar to him, but with not the, the same uh, power that he has, but, but similar, a similar kind of a power. And Paul is referring to them here in the passage that we read. He refers to them as rulers uh, or principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness, uh, wicked spirits who inhabit the heavenly places. So this is the world that we live in. You see, if we only think in terms of the material, if we think only in terms of what we can see, we're going to have a hard time succeeding in our walk and and relationship with the Lord. We have to recognize that there are unseen forces that are working against us. They're, They're opposing us principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. What's being described here is governmental structure with various ranks. So Satan is the head over a highly organized kingdom. And if, if we could get a look into the spiritual realm, that's what we would see. We would see that this is a highly organized uh, spiritual force that is uh, opposing God. A principality is a, the word literally means a prince over a geographical region. The world is controlled by spiritual forces. It's not what what we think. And if we fail to see the spiritual component, um, it will be, Unfortunate for us, but but when we look at um, governments, when we look at leaders, when we look at uh, men in power, for example, who uh, oppose God and the things of God, what we're seeing is the influence of these spiritual forces behind the scene. Because the real ruler of the geographical region isn't the guy who's the president or the prime minister or the king or whatever. Uh, In a sense, that person is the puppet, but there's a spiritual force that works behind the scene there. That's what a principality is. So it's this, um, this structured, organized force that Satan heads. It is a force of uh, iniquitous, uh, powerful, depraved spirits the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now, back in the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul refers to the, uh, he, he makes a reference there to uh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And he gives us a little bit of insight. Uh, you know, the fads, the fashions, the philosophies, the things that come and go, these are things that are being manipulated and, and orchestrated to a large degree by these evil spirits. The things that, the, the philosophies that are against God that people come up with, uh, the lies that they tenaciously hold to that they uh, will not let go of, that uh, to somebody who's had their eyes open, it's so obvious that they're, the position that they hold is untenable, but they, but they hold on to it tenaciously. You think, I, I just think of the, the atheist, you know, as they, 
their, their arguments and they hold on to these arguments and they're, in the end, their arguments are nonsensical. They don't make sense. They're illogical. They, they, they can't really stand up to scrutiny. And, you know, if you, if you follow their logic out, it, it, it never works, but they can't see it and they hold to it. And this is where you see the influence of, of these spirits over people's minds. Now, Paul tells us that it's these forces that we are wrestling against. And there's two aspects to this conflict that we need to understand. There's the, the one larger aspect where the collective forces of God are battling the collective forces of Satan. This is the spiritual battle that's going on that we can't see but it's happening in that realm. We referred uh, previously to Daniel chapter 10. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, you're given insight. You, you get a window to look through to see this conflict. Remember, uh, Daniel is praying. The messenger comes to him finally after 21 days. The messenger says, from the day you began to pray, I was dispatched, but I was opposed. The prince of Persia resisted me. The prince of Persia, the principality, the ruler over that region resisted me. And then, uh, you know, I must go and I must fight for the prince of Greece is coming. And so we get this insight into this, this conflict that's going on. Now, um, that's something that we're engaged in from a distance, but there, there's this, it's happening whether we realize it or not. But then... There's a personal side to all of this, and that's what Paul is getting at here. And that's, he uses the term wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And one thing about wrestling that you would know, it, just simply by observation, is wrestling is, is very intimate. It's, it's close. It's, it's up close and personal. It's, it's what you would call, in military terms, it's hand-to-hand combat. It's not merely, you know, shooting across a, a, a gulf at, at the enemy. It is where you are literally engaged in physical struggle with that, with that enemy. That's the intimacy of the conflict that we are in. We are, we are engaged intimately in this. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with these principalities and powers. Now, Here's the, the way it works practically. Oftentimes, we're ignorant of this. We, we're, not, we're not even aware of, of what it is that's happening. And this is especially true of, um, of us when we are uh, you know, young or immature in our faith. I remember as a young Christian, I remember very vividly, you know, getting saved, coming to faith, um, having this wonderful sense of God's presence and his peace and, you know, deliverance from the power of sin and all of those kinds of things. And, you know, a season of joy and, you know, all that that you, you imagine when you think of what it's like to, to be saved. And, and I remember that. But then something happened. And, and I found myself just sort of depressed for no reason and agitated and 
feeling you know, tempted and, and these kinds of things. And I, I really, at the time, had no idea what that was. I just thought, wow, this is a strange experience. Um, it's much different than what I've been experiencing. What happened? That's the question that you ask in your mind. You know, what, what, what's going on? What, did, did I do something wrong? God, where did you go? How come I feel this way? And I remember I was feeling that way, not knowing what it was. And I happened to ha- have a conversation one evening with another Christian brother who had been a Christian longer than I was. And as we were talking, he just started talking about spiritual warfare. I'd never heard of spiritual warfare. I literally said to him, what's that? But as he was talking and as he was describing sort of the, the experiences that you have, I, I suddenly realized that is what I'm, that's, what, that's what's happening to me. So the, so the lights went on. I understood then that there, there is this conflict. But a lot of times we're, we're unaware of it. We're oblivious to it. We're ignorant of it. And all the while, the enemy is attacking us, but we don't know what's happening. So we need to understand that this, this is a reality. That, and many of the things that we experience, that's the explanation for them. Now, when you become aware of it, and, and especially when you're serious about following the Lord and serving the Lord and, and ultimately, you know, seeing God's kingdom uh, move beyond your own life into the lives of others, that's when you become more and more aware of it all the time because that's when you begin to really experience a, a strong pushback from the devil. You know, some people are, in some ways, some people aren't really bothered by the devil, some Christians even. It's like, hey, they're asleep. Don't wake them up. Just, let's, let, just leave them alone. <laughs> let's go after these guys over here. So if you've never been bothered by the devil, that's not necessarily a good sign. You need to wake up. But when, you, you know, but, but when you're actively pursuing the Lord and you're seeking to, uh, in, a, you know, in a sense, what you're doing is you're, you're going to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. The devil knows that. He's going to come after you. He's going to attack you. He's going to oppose you. He's going to resist you. And it happens in a variety of ways. Much of the battle is, is mental, where there just can be you know, a depression or a discouragement or a confusion or uh, you know, temptations and things. We'll talk about that in the later study. But but that's the, the way he operates. He comes against us. He attacks us. There are certain places where Satan has a strong presence. The, the, these spiritual forces have a strong presence. You know, the gospel um, and the establishing of, a go- of the gospel in a place, it... it lessens the, uh, the power of those forces. When I was really young um, in the Lord, I, but I was, I was moving into the area of ministry, 
I had an opportunity to, I, I was actually given a t- an invitation to pastor a church in Hawaii, uh, on the island of Kauai. And uh, I had a number of friends in the islands, and there was um, a strong work of the spirit that had taken place on the island of Oahu, and quite a few churches had been established. And you know, when you went to uh, Oahu, you just you know it was joyful, and you just sensed that well, God is at work, and there's these great churches, and we're doing outreaches, and, and all of that kind of thing. Man, you went over to Kauai, and it was like you just crossed a border into the devil's territory. And I remember that very clearly. I remember feeling that heaviness and that, that oppression when I was there. And, and I was talking to my friend, Bill Stonebreaker, uh, at the time about that experience, and he said, you know, that's exactly what uh, the North Shore felt like when we first began the ministry here. But as time goes on, and as the church grows and gets stronger, and the gospel becomes established and starts to go out, it, it drives back those forces. So there are places where, um, you know, I, I guess the best way to describe it is you just feel, you know, you just feel kind of light. You just feel like, hey, all right, you know, God's at work, and it's joyful, and it's exciting. And there are other places you go, and it's you just crossed over into a war zone. I just came back from a war zone. This morning I was driving to get some coffee thinking, man, feels so light here. <laughs> feels so good. Felt so heavy in London. London's one of those places where, man, there's some spiritual darkness that rules over that that region there. And of course, one of the ways that you can see is that the, the church is weak. The church is feeble. The church has lost confidence in the, the power of God and in the word of God. And uh, you know, the devil's just taken more and more and more authority. You can sense it. You can feel it there. So this is this is the reality. We're, we're in this wrestling match with the enemy. What do we do about this? Well, Paul tells us right here at the start, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We, we, we have to draw our strength from the Lord. You know, as, as a man... I can think in terms of fighting and I can think like, you know, I, I can put on, you know, sort of my man mind, like, yeah, let's fight. But you know, that's not how it works in the spiritual realm. Because you, you can't fight that way. It doesn't work like that. It's a spiritual fight. In some ways, you know, from, from the man's point of view, it'd be easier. Let's just, go, let's just go fight it out. Let's just go fist to fist. But now the way you fight this out is you get on your knees and you pray. You, 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 you know, cry out to God. You, you keep advancing with the gospel. It's, it's a different method of fighting. But a lot of times we just think of it in, in too much in natural terms and, and I, 
you know, like, like it is with, with people who have never been in war, you can, sort of, you can sort of romanticize war. I think it was Robert E. Lee who said that those young men who love war the most are those who have never been. And it's true. And spiritual warfare, you can think, yeah, we're gonna take on the devil. We're gonna take him down, you know, and get like that. And then you have an encounter with him. You realize, oh, this is a different story. These are powerful evil spirits and we cannot in our own wisdom, in our own strength, no matter how tough we might be physically, none of that matters when it comes to this. We have to be strong in the Lord. Our strength has to be a spiritual strength. It comes from the spirit of God. It doesn't come from anything naturally that I possess. Be strong in the Lord. We've got to remember right at the top that the battle belongs to the Lord. This is God's battle. And since it's God's battle, we've got to be looking to him for wisdom. We've got to be looking to him for a strategy. We've got to be looking to him for resources and all of that. I love the picture that we have in uh, 1 Samuel 17, where David and and Goliath have that confrontation there. And Goliath, you know, he comes to David in all of his strength, all of his physical strength and all of his uh, war experience. He's incensed that the Israelites would put this child out in front of him and he swears, I'm gonna take you, David, and I'm gonna just cut you to pieces, feed you to the dogs. And... David says these words. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. You come to me with these physical weapons, but I come to you in the name of the living God. And he says, the battle is the Lord's. See, David understood that. The battle was the Lord's. David wasn't going to fight Goliath in his own strength or his own um, valor. He was going to fight him in the strength of God. And so as we think in terms of uh, fighting the spiritual battle, we have to remember that we need to be strong in the Lord. How do we do that? Well, of course, we strengthen ourselves through the truth of God's word. We have to strengthen ourselves through the scriptures. Did you know God's word strengthens you? It gives you spiritual strength and fortitude that you absolutely have to have if you are going to overcome the devil, if you're going to resist the devil, if you're going to uh, survive this conflict that you're in the middle of, you have got to have that strength. And that strength comes to us through God's word. That's why when we neglect God's word, when we fail to hide it in our heart, when we fail to meditate on it, we put ourselves in a vulnerable position. You're like a soldier that's out in, in the midst of the enemy with no, not only do you not have a weapon to fight with, you don't have any strength. Even if you had a weapon, you couldn't wield it because of your lack of strength. So we need that strength that comes to us from God's word. And so this is where as soldiers, if you will, soldiers of Jesus Christ, this is where we equip ourselves. We equip ourselves through the word of God. The word of God becomes that 
that effective weapon that we use against the enemy. We see with Jesus when he's attacked by Satan. You remember after the 40 days of fasting, the devil comes to him and tempts him on three different occasions. How does Jesus respond to Satan? He always responds with this. It is written. Jesus showed us how to fight the devil. You fight him with the word of God. It is written. Satan comes and says, if you're the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Jesus said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone. So that's where we draw our strength from the word of God. And secondly, we draw our strength from the empowering of the spirit. I need the power of the spirit of God. And I need to remind myself over and over again that this, I, I'm not wrestling with flesh and blood. Lord, I need more than flesh and blood to fight this battle. I need spiritual strength. And thank God he's given us his spirit. Thank God he has uh, promised to fill us with his spirit, to give us power through his spirit. That's what he said, remember? To the disciples, he said, wait in Jerusalem. His, his command was to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, and in doing so, you're gonna set people free from the captivity of the devil. But before you go, he says, wait until you receive power, for the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power to be my witnesses. And we need the power of God. That combination of the word of God dwelling in our hearts and the power of God upon us, that's the way we're going to be victorious in this battle. And so we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these principalities and powers. They're greater by far than we are in strength and in intellect and all of that, but we've got the power of the Lord and the strength of his might. And that's what we are to call upon. And we are to do all of this uh, in order that we might stand firm in the evil day. And here Paul refers to the evil day. There are, you know, there are, there are days that are evil in the sense that there, there are seasons of attack. You know, we go, we go through these seasons. We go through these days, if you will, where the enemy is coming down strong upon us. His attack against us is relentless. <coughs> and we, we're called to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might so that on that evil day, when it does come, we stand firm on that day rather than faltering on that day. But standing firm. You know, at the end, we're in a battle and we have to fight. You know, if you're, if you're ever faced with uh, a situation, a confrontational situation, opposition or whatever, um, you know, there, there's two options. You, you can run. Uh, well, there's three, I guess. You can run, you can give up, or you can fight. In this battle, we're called to fight. We have to fight. And when you strip away all the, the, the romantic sort of elements of it, you know, sometimes it's just, a, a, it's, it's just this thing where 
man, it's, it's brutal. You know, I, I have had times in my own life where I have felt the powers of darkness pushing so hard upon me that I've wanted to just stop. I want to quit. I would just lie down and, you know, just let them roll over me. I'm done. I, I can't go on anymore. But then God, by his spirit, comes and says, stand. Stand. You just stand. And that's what we have to do. We have to just stand. We have to fight. That's the only way to repel the enemy. He's not, he's not going to be pushed back in any other way. If, if we don't fight him, he's going to just keep advancing. If you don't fight for your family, if you don't fight for your children, if you don't fight for your loved ones, if you don't fight for, you know, whatever it is, your church, if, you, if we don't fight for it, the devil is just going to take it. That's the nature of what he does. He just comes in and he takes over. And so often, we see this in the physical realm, we see just a capitulation, right? We just see people, well, they're just giving up. There's no fight. There's no resistance. I, I was just, of course, as you know, I was in London, and I was talking to some different people there, and I was, I was talking to um, one of the church leaders there that was telling me about um, just how the whole sort of battle against uh, the infiltration of homosexuality into the church. I mean, it was just in his mind, it was sort of the battle was over. You know, we, there's really nothing we can do. It's just the way it is. And, and as I was listening to that, I thought, you know, that's a, that's a capitulation. That's what we can't do. We can't just give up. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep praying. We have to keep standing on the word of God. We have to keep saying, no, no, this is what the Bible says. We're, we're, we can't back down from these things. And it's because people don't fight that the enemy gets victories. And it's true in your life personally, and it's true with us collectively. We've got to fight. Fight. 